0: Welcome back. This is the Mighty 790 KFGO and KFGO.com. And we're going to talk a little bit about collectibles. Not necessarily what they're worth. Okay. But if you've been holding on to them, according to Rinker's 30 year law rule, <laughs> uh, it might be time to get rid of them. Really? And uh, he's uh, joining us right now, the one and only Mr. What You Got, Harry Rinker from Florida. Hello there, sir.
1: Hey, what you
0: got? <laughs> Boy, how long has it been, man? It's been a long time since you've been on this show. It's been
1: show. almost 20 years. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yep. Hey, time flies when you're having fun. Well, or, you refuse to, or you refuse to die one or the other.
0: <laughs> well, I was, I was telling you, Harry, when I, we, we started setting this up, that we have been talking with a bunch of folks who uh, said, you know, I've got all this stuff that I've collected, and now is the time where I think it's about time we get rid of them. And, you know, what yeah, well, you, you, wrote, you wrote an article, and uh, the first thing that I read concerning that, you know, the kids don't want them, that's exactly what they were saying. The, 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 the kids
1: don't care about it. Yeah. You know, the, the, 20, the 21st century has not been kind to traditional collecting. The new generation of millennials either don't want the stuff or they don't want what you have. They want what they want. And this is, this is a big problem. I mean, the, the the problem is, if you're over fifty, you probably waited too late to sell the stock, because uh, it's it's a tough market out there right now for the additional things. Furthermore, you know, if we'd had this conversation two weeks ago, I would probably be talking with you entirely differently than I am today with this, you know, fall of the stock market, possible recession, all the rest of this. Man, this this goes back to two thousand eight to two thousand. Ten, when the word was, if you got antics and collectibles, don't try to sell them because now is not the time. So, but yet, but yet as people downsize and so forth, they don't have a lot of choice.
0: And everybody who wants to seem to hold out for the big bucks, you know, or the or what the, the best they can get. Let's put it that way. And a lot of times they're going to find that's not going to happen,
1: right? Well, yeah, th- there are no big bucks left anymore. Uh, today, today. If you hire someone, you have a number of options. You can try to give it to yourself on Craigslist and eBay, but you'll just drive yourself nuts and take forever, and you won't sell most of it anyway. The other, And we're talking about just a home that has antiques and collectibles that came down through the family. Collections are a slightly different point of view. But the other thing is if you call an estate sale person and a person that comes into your house and marks everything and puts in an estate sale, you're going to be paying them 50% of the profits or more. You know, auctioneers are already up in the 25%, 35 40% uh, of stuff. And prices out of the field have just dropped. I, I mean, things that may have sold for a couple hundred bucks 20 years ago, you're lucky to get $15, 20 for them at the moment. Because, you know, there are no fixed prices in the antiques and collectibles game. And therefore, something is worth only what someone is willing to pay for it at a given moment in time. And that's why when I deal with people who are trying to get rid of a house full of stuff or downsizing, and I, and I wrote a book about that called Sell Keeper Toss, How to Downsize Your Home, Settle an Estate, and Appraise Personal Property. And although the book is over 10 years old. It's still loaded with a lot of great advice on how to do this. But anyway, going back to this. The first thing you have to do is get a realistic view of what your things are worth, not on the secondary retail market. In other words, a lot of people go out to an antique shop and say, oh, look, I have one of those that's worth this. I have one of those that's worth that. Because they're looking at the price the guy has on it or the gal has on it that runs the antique shop. But but what they're seeing is it's still sitting on the shelf because they didn't sell it at that price. Okay, and they didn't pay that price to buy it either. And so, you know, you have to get some very realistic look at what stuff is worth yourself. And if you don't have the ability to do that, hire someone that can tell you.
0: I want to back up just a little bit because when you were on the show with us, we did that show for so many years. You were in Pennsylvania. in Pennsylvania and you had a schoolhouse that you were filling full of collectibles. That schoolhouse yes, I, is now gone. How did that work? Is. How did that work?
1: Well, what happened was that in the end, I filled it with fifty thousand plus things, and then my wife took a job out in Michigan at Davenport University, and we went from a fourteen thousand square foot schoolhouse building down to a two thousand eight hundred square foot house, and I was able to move maybe about fifteen, twelve to fifteen thousand of the objects out to Michigan but the rest had to go. I hired, an, I just said to an auctioneer, come in, clean it out, and sell it for me. And I, I didn't. he I sold it at auction, which is what I wanted to do. Uh, I have a condo in Florida that's fully paid for now. I had money in the bank. Uh, he, he did real well for me. And the way I dealt with it is this. I didn't go to the auction. It took him two and a half years, by the way, and, and about six or seven auctions to get rid of it all. I didn't go to the auctions and I didn't look at what everything sold for. I just looked at the bottom number of the checks and said, okay, this is more money than I had before I started. And, you know, did I, you know, if I would have sat down and said, oh my gosh, I didn't get a, half of what I paid for that, I would forget all the objects that I got 10 times what I paid for. It. But the tragedy was my Apollon Cassidy bedroom suite, which I paid. $5,000 for and sold for 350 bucks. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, well, it's okay. I had the use of it and the pleasure of owning it. And, you know, I didn't buy antiques and collectibles as a retirement fund. Okay, they were not my retirement fund. I didn't need to live off of them. I planned my retirement. Unfortunately, Bob, most of the calls I get today are people who are older who have medical bills and have retirement issues and need money. And if you need money, trying to sell your antiques and collectibles is not the way to get it because it's tough stuff if,
0: if you just joined us Harry Rinker is with us here on KFGO he was the host of uh, what you got for many many years on this radio station and we're talking about uh, disposal it might be time for disposal of your items and we're talking a little bit about uh, to Harry about uh, that and the procedure by the way is it you know you mentioned uh, you had an auction some people are doing it piece by piece piece by piece would drive you crazy wouldn't it
1: well it, it It is, uh, unless you want to go into business of shipping stuff and listing it on eBay and or, or Craigslist, which is a little bit better because it's local. Look, here's the name of the game. If I go into a house that has antiques and collectibles in it, okay? Now, we're not talking, again, about a, co- a collection of 50,000 Hot Wheel cars or something like that. But, you know, the standard house. Probably... Fifty percent of what everything is worth is in probably 10%, ten percent, five to ten percent of the objects. Sure. And 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 so those are the ones that you sell to get the money, and you just get happy to get rid of the rest of them. I was up at I was up at a flea market, a big flea market down here in Mount Dora, uh, Florida. Uh, Reningers and they have extravaganza weekend. there's I'm sitting, I go in out, out one of the uh, 10 areas outside. And, there's a guy and his wife that has a table. Anything on this table, five bucks, anything on this table, two bucks, anything on this table, ten bucks, right? And I said, you know, why are you what are you doing? And he said, Well, we first of all we paid more of this for all this stuff anyway. We just want to get rid of it. And he says, you know, the funny thing about that is people pick up something for two bucks and five bucks and ten bucks. They don't argue with us, they just give us the money. And and his attitude is, you know. Right now it's all sitting in my home in the basement worthless, and at least I leave here with money in my pocket. <laughs> well, but but that's 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 what I try to teach people or tell people and they don't understand it. People say to me, they come to me and say, What is this worth? And the answer is when I'm looking at it, its value is nothing. Because an antique and collectible is only only worth something. When somebody reaches in their pants, pulls out their wallet and pays for it. For that moment in time it has value. Two minutes later it has no value again.
0: Yeah, kinda like a car coming out of a showroom, you know? Cause...
1: Well, you know, well, that's a good analogy, Bob, because I try to tell people you if you go into an antique show or shop or wherever you go and you buy an object that at what we would call book price, retail price in the antiques market, right? That retail price includes profit to the person selling it, includes overhead that the person had to pay to sell it, and maybe, just maybe, uh, if you have to turn around and sell it, you might get 30, 40 cents on the dollar. But you won't get 100 cents on the dollar two minutes after you walk out the door and say, hey, you want to buy this back? (laughs) That's for sure. That's that's the problem between book book value, retail value, and, and wholesale value. And when you're, when you're trying to sell out a house full of antiques and collectibles or, or, or just a house full of stuff, you know, uh, the, the truth of the matter is that it's wholesale that you're selling at, not retail. You're not an antique dealer. You know, you want to become an antique dealer or collectibles dealers, go to the show, set up your tables, pay the hotel rent, pay the bills, pay, pay whatever. And, and you'll find out how little you make it, how, how little you make. I, I think most antique sellers work for minimum wage or less.
0: There was a, an interesting portion in one of your articles here, Harry, talking about that uh, time is a fleeting commodity and that you had bought computer software and a digital camera, which I thought was a, a story that I think a lot of us would uh, would relate to. Can you explain that uh, about the, the software and the camera?
1: Well, what, what happens What happens is that, you know, in fact, I, I just uh, got a question. I, I, my, I still write my weekly column, Rinker, on collectibles. It's now in its 33rd year. People could go up to my website, harryrinker.com and read my column. And I write a text column one week and the Q&A the next. I just wrote a Q&A about one of the very early Sony disc cameras. You know, one of the we are talking 1989, Okay. It was a camera you could you could take pictures and put them on a three and a half inch or no no nineteen ninety nine, uh you could no 1988 1980, I can't remember the exact year but somewhere around there yeah nineteen eighty nine, you could take pictures with the camera put them on a floppy just stick them in your computer right okay two years two years later it's obsolete what's it worth today, I don't know you can play bat ball with it pass it throw it back and forth <laughs> I mean, but you know technology changes and. Right, right now, I'm, I'm about ready to sit down and write a column about what this coronavirus is going to mean to my trade. But I'm going to tell you what, it's going to have a fascinating influence on the antiques and collectible business because all of a sudden, everything is going to happen digitally. As you know, the president tonight just said, no more people flying in from Europe, right? Correct. So how are they going to have all these business meetings? The answer is they're going to do them with telecommunication, right?
0: I would suspect, the,
1: the, yeah. The, the coronavirus crisis is going to create an increase of bill, increased use of telecommunication for people under 50. Okay. Once yeah. they learn to do that, they're not going to want to go out shopping at an antique show or what, or mall or something for stuff. They want to telecommunicated to them and it's going to change. It's going to change everything. Well,
0: that is for sure. Uh, that is for sure. Uh,
1: well, Well, you know, right now, Sotheby's, if you go to an auction Sotheby's and Christie's back in the 80s, there'd be 250 people in the room. You go to an auction Sotheby's and Christie's today, there's 20 people in the room. Why? Because everybody else is on the Internet. They're all bidding on the Internet. I mean, today, even regional auction houses sell 50 to 75 percent of their stuff over the Internet. The buyers that never even came and looked at it. It's it's an amazing, it's an amazing change in my business.
0: Amazing turnaround. He's absolutely right. The, uh, the 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 people that I've talked to, they you know they've, they 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 thought about uh, the, the the items that they have as far as sentimental value is concerned, but that really doesn't mean much if no, anything.
1: sentimental value is not a value. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Well, see, that's the hardest thing. When I wrote "Sell, Keep, and Toss," you know, "Sell, Keep, and Keeper Toss," my book, I had to write a whole chapter how to make, how to get over the sentimentality attached to piece. Now, I had a lot of experience with that because I'm on my third wife, but we won't go there, okay? <laughs> now, but, but, you know, you are attached to pieces. And, and I, just, I just had a friend who went from a 4,000-square-foot house down to an 1,800-square-foot uh, apartment, and he had the family stuff from the parents, the grandparents, the great-grandparents that come down through all those families and and I watched him go through it. He was crying as he had to discard stuff he couldn't take over to the new condo. Okay, uh, you know, it, 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 we are personally attached to our things, and that distorts our value. Now, here's the situation: Why are we so attached to stuff? Because we grew the older older members of our our, our KFG audience, Bob, grew up in a generation where we passing down, where we valued things that belonged to our parents and grandma parents, and when they died, we brought them into our house and reused them, okay? Today's young people have a three-letter word that haunts all of us, new, N-E-W. They want everything new. They don't want any old stuff, Yeah. okay? You know, they're like the, the hippies in, 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 in the 60s, you know? I just said to myself, I'm going to wait till all those hippies get 80s, and then I'm going to stick their, my tongue out of them and tell their grandchildren not to trust anybody over 30. <laughs> yeah.
0: By the way, before we wrap up here, I just have to let the folks know that uh, you know you've had some interesting Rinker rules in over the years that we've talked. And your, yes, we your, do. Your latest has been the uh, rate of death rule. The rule has two parts: when the death of a collecting friend occurs once a year, start thinking about selling. And rule number two is when the death of a collecting friend occurs three or more times a year, take action. And you say you've reached yeah. that second stage. Well, uh.
1: well and that's what I would say. The, the, you know, what we've been talking about tonight is a house a house filled with family th- antiques and heirlooms, and that's what most people have. But there are people who collect stuff. And, you know, the one rule that we know, and, you know, I studied this trade inside and out for decades, things reach their peak when the people that collect them, the objects that relate to them, are in their Late, late forties, fifties, and early sixties. Okay, but by the time they get into their eighties or seventies, nobody else wants nobody wants the stuff anymore. The the the, the 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 new generation of people have moved on to new things. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I, I have to tell you, the social prestige, the joy of having this stuff, young people don't see any value in it. Well. Part of it is that families are smaller. People are moving around. You don't live down the na- down the street from your grandparents anymore. You know, people have lost touch with the past.
0: Speaking of that, uh, uh, there was one other note I noticed, too. You said that, uh, like, historical societies, they're not taking donations anymore. Or at least not many. Oh,
1: oh, well, what, back in the 1970s, when I was the director of the Historical Society of York County, I always told people that we were object-rich and cash-poor. Okay. And now, and this is a common problem for historical societies. You know, they can't take everything because there's no room, and they they don't have the budgets anymore to afford it. In fact, if anything, you know, closing down. If we start closing down museums and historical societies in the United States, it's going to have such a serious impact on many of them that some will not survive. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm, I'm not going to get you started on American Pickers or any of those because we're, we're running out of time. The president kind of screwed us up a little bit as far as our time. Well, what what do you mean, American Pickers? It's all a joke. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. It was, well, we'll, we'll do that again some other time it's, down it's, the road. It's TV, Bob. It's all for show.
1: <laughs> like the collector inspector, right? <laughs> hey, listen, I got news for you. That was entertainment, too.
0: <laughs> Your website, once again, Harry, and can they find that podcast? that uh, you've got up there, too, right?
1: uh, Okay, right. Uh, You know, I I don't do my syndicated What You Got Radio show any longer. I did 11 and a half years. I gave it up. But once a month, I do an hour-long show for WRTA out of Altoona, Pennsylvania, and it's listed on my website when I'm doing it and the podcast for that show are up there. People... Still would like to, to listen. And I have to convince you guys to do a podcast with me once a month.
0: Well, that would be a blast. We can think about that. I'll, we'll put that together. You bet. I'll throw I'll throw it past the guys and see if they make a, a salute at it. Okay. Well,
1: hey, listen. Do you remember when we were the number one show on Saturday mornings in Fargo? Come absolutely,
0: on. absolutely.
1: Harry, have a great time down in Florida. Hey, Thank hey, you listen, for joining us. And let me let me say hello to all those KFTL listeners that remember what you got and were faithful listeners. It was a real pleasure to be part of that radio network.
0: Thank you much, my man. You have a great evening now. Take care, buddy. You too. Bye-bye.